Here we are at the last portion of the book of Colossians. And we have our last exhortations prior to uh, him then saying a bunch of hellos. Now, if you're the kind that reads certain portions of scripture and you just kind of go, Oh, I'm reading walk in wisdom and let your speech always. And then you know, as if somehow this can't be as pertinent. Well, then perhaps you really kind of need to slow down with me for a moment and recognize these are real people you're going to be spending. Well, for most of them, at least you're going to be spending eternity with. And it would be really, really cool for you to be the one person that perhaps goes, Aristarchus, I've been looking forward to seeing you. And Aristarchus would be like, well, uh, well, how do you know me? And if you do, mention the fact you went to Shoreline Calvary Chapel, please, at least. Um, you know, and it's, oh, you're one of those guys. All right. You know, well, hold on. Now let me go get Tychicus. Tychicus, awesome. Where everybody else in the world's looking going, ah, uh, Tychicus, what's your name again? Tucci, what? And... and and understand in this, there are nine names that are listed here that are very important mentioned. Now consider the fact, what would it be like if your name made it into the Bible like that? I mean, these are guys that for the most part are hanging out with Paul. Some of them are getting beat up with Paul. Some of them are following around serving Paul. A couple there are going to get the points where you're like, you know what, actually, I'd rather not made it into the Bible if this is how I get mentioned. Uh, and, and I just want you to consider that God knows exactly what he's doing. Now, it's interesting because when we get into that text, and it's fairly likely we will get into that text since we're only two verses away from it. I understand that with each one of them, they kind of have their own personality and their own background. And with it, you kind of fit into there somewhere. And as we look through all of those names, I'd like you to ask yourself, well, which one of these people would I be if God were writing this today? Now, before we even get into that, it's been interesting. I've been looking a little bit at sort of the monarchs of England and of France of recently, at least you know, over the last couple thousand years. And I've come up with some interesting titles here that I've noticed. Uh, and, and so I'm going to read a few of the names. And I just want you to tell me whether or not you think they're an English monarch or a French monarch by these titles. What it appears to me is that apparently the king himself didn't come up with their titles, at least a few of them. Oh, there's a few. For instance, um, Atheistin the Glorious. You have to guess now. That's English or French? English. Sorry, there you go. Don't worry. We all make mistakes around here. Um, Claudio the Long Hair. French, that's clearly French. Yeah, see, you gotta got that one. Yeah, got that. Uh, Edmund the Magnificent. English, 939 to 946. Ah, oh, beautiful. Clothor I, the old. French. French, yeah, boy, they're just not as nice. Um, how about this one? A theoret the unready. French. No, English. Oh, I'm sorry with that one. That's 978 to 1013. St. Edward the Confessor. English. See, some of you, you're going to know that. Clovis the Lazy. French. Okay, who gives, what guy says, I decided I'd like to be called Clovis. I don't even want to be called Clovis, nonetheless, Clovis the Lazy. Now, if your name is Clovis, I'm sorry. Uh, Pepin the Short. French. French. Think about famous world rulers and being short. All right. King William the Conqueror. English, see, you got that one, yeah. Um, Charles the Fat? No, that's French, sorry. Charles the Bald? French. I mean, the French, I mean, either they like to make fun of themselves or maybe somebody else just titles them. I mean, now, look at 
For whatever it's worth, when I die, please don't call me either one of those things. First of all, my name's not Charles, but don't want to be called the fat or the bald. Even if I wind up that way, please don't let that be the most prominent thing. There's Louis V the lazy, Louis IX the saint, Philip the bold. French, strangely enough. See, they have a few in there. Philip the fair. And I'm assuming they mean like, oh, you're fair. Oh, you're really fair. Yeah, actually, it's, it's French for what it's worth. Um, my favorite, John first the posthumous. French. He ruled from November 15th, 1360 to November, tw November 20th. So we got a five-day reign in there. And so posthumous, for what, if you don't know what that means, that means something that gets credit after they die. So um, Charles the Beloved. French. French. But they also called him Charles the Mad. So maybe he was a little crazy at calling himself the Beloved. Um, Richard the Lionhearted. Oh, you guys got to go. Oh, Yes, <laughs> um, Louis Sixteenth, the last, the French, yeah, French. Because then after him comes a little guy that steps in named Napoleon, right? Uh, there's yeah. So for what it's worth, so there are these titles throughout. Well, they're going to be. I'm going to give you titles here of all of these guys, and then I just want you to sort of review on the back of your bulletin. Um, this, by the way, for those of you who are English or outside of America, this was a fad for a while in the '50s. How many people you could fit in a telephone pole, uh, telephone booth, yeah, in a telephone pole. That's what, kind of what they look like, actually. But I just recorded so that you wouldn't know that I wasn't sort of taking too many liberties. I um, actually just put down all of the names that you're going to see here and scriptures, the scriptures that are pertinent to it. We're going to take a very small break, long enough for that to happen. There isn't one that says anything like, Richard the Timely or anything like that. So at least we're okay with that. Um, but again, we're going to go back to the book of Colossians, but we'll let um, a small herd in. <laughs> Don't worry, no one will know. It'll be our secret. What's that? Yeah, oh yeah, maybe, yeah. Ooh. Maybe it does sound better if you say, Ooh, Charles the Bold. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, or maybe it's a bad mispronunciation. I meant bold. What do you bold. mean, bald? He's bold. <laughs> Don't call me Charles the Bold. I'm bold. <laughs> well, for what it's worth. Okay. As we get our concluding remarks here in the book of Colossians, look at verse 5 with me. And verse 6, there are two last things, and notice they involve your walk and your speech. I want to remind you in chapter uh, 3, what we had was this challenge to let the old guy die and be carved off. Uh, and then it, because the old guy um, is a lot bigger, and now you've lost all this excessive spiritual weight, your clothes aren't going to fit you. So take off the old man and put on the new one. You've got a whole new wardrobe that comes with a whole new you. And with that, then he says, with that whole new you is a whole new society. And that whole new society is a society that, well, in simplest sense, is one where God defines the roles a little bit. You don't just get to be a freelance and make it up as you go along. That includes, by the way, 
husbands and wives, children and their parents, and for that, for that matter, workers and bosses. And so he plays all of that out. And then with all of that, there's this challenge to live that life heartily. Not to live that life like a robot or just to sort of play the whole thing out like it's some kind of lame game. God says, do this thing with your soul. And then in verses 5 and 6, he gives us our last challenges corporately. And the first is how to walk. He tells you to walk wisely um, towards those who are outside. Now, by the way, for what it's worth, he tells us to love deeply those who are inside. So know the difference. When it comes to the body of believers, there should be a radical difference between the way that you view a believer and the way you view an unbeliever. Now, that isn't necessarily commonplace today, but scripturally it tells us to actually demonstrate great kindness and mercy and love to those, especially to those of the household of faith. That when it comes to somebody who's a believer, you really should have an open heart to some degree. However, the problem is, is that I think we've all been conned at least once or twice by somebody that really played the, no, really, I'm a Christian, but demonstrated nothing that looked like a Christian. And then what happens is at the end of it all, we just kind of get burned. And then we look at each other and someone goes, hi, I'm a Christian. And you're like, oh, even though you're one yourself, and there's got to be something really weird when somebody gives you a card, it's got a fish on it. You think, well, that's the last guy I'm going to hire. And you think, well, wait a minute here. Biblically, the enemy always knows to dress up like your enemy could be one of the most damaging ways to do something. I mean, I knew this back when I was in college before I was saved. There were a group of people that went door to door with their magazines and their books. I won't say who it is, but they were really into this more and I character. And and they were really and they just drove us nuts. I mean, they always and they they made a purpose at knocking at early hours of the morning. And, and again, I remind you, I wasn't saved. I wasn't operating from the Holy Spirit by any means. And I went, we have to get rid of these guys. Now, we couldn't just beat them up and send them out because they thought that was a cool thing. That kind of gave them some street cred for what they did. So what we did was, and again, I'm not proud of this. I'm just telling you, the enemy obviously knows this works because I'm sure it was him telling me. We dressed up like them. We put on our ties and our little badges. And then we went around and created all kinds of havoc around the area. And then people said, well, you're no longer allowed here because obviously. And, and what happened in the end of it all was is those people couldn't come back. And I knew that if you dressed like them and did bad things, that it would get them in trouble instead of you. The enemy knows that. It tells us that in the Corinthian letters that Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. Now consider the fact that, that just because somebody calls himself a Christian doesn't mean that they're a Christian. And understand, I don't buy that if you come to me and say, Pastor Tony, he says he's a Christian. And what that tells me is, is that as long as he's cute and he's got it going on, that's more important. And as long as he, oh, you qualify, you say you're a Christian. It's like, oh, wow, you're cute. you got a nice car. Please just tell me you're a Christian. We could go out. You can see Satan go, well, I'm a Christian. The book of James says, even demons say Jesus is God. They, 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 even demons admit that Jesus is, but at least they have brains enough to shudder. Now, in all of that, the Bible tells us when it comes to the believer, we should, though, be dealing with them with an open heart to the degree of really seeking. As a matter of fact, Jesus, I challenge you to see how many times Jesus actually gauges our behavior by the way we treat each other, not the lost world. When Jesus says, when you've done this to the least of these, what's the next statement? My brothers. He doesn't say, when you've done that to the least of these, the lost. Though he tells us that we should be out there sharing Jesus with the lost. 
But when Jesus starts even identifying what it really means to be a Christian, strangely enough, he identifies it by the way we treat each other. When you've done it to the least of these, when you've fed the sick and you've housed the homeless and, and clothed the naked and, and visited those in prison. And he says, those were about believers. And it's strange because when I think, do I really have a genuine attitude different about believers than I do with the lost? And I have to be honest to tell you, absolutely. Because when I look at you guys, man, my heart skips a beat. I get all excited about what it's like to assemble as believers and, and love each other. Not in this old, give me a hug until we're all uncomfortable and awkward. The idea of it is that, that we serve each other. But in that, there is an attitude we do have to have about the, the unbeliever out there, those that are on the outside. Now, immediately there's a problem. And that is that you know the moment that you draw a line and somewhere someone's on the other side of it, they're going to get all, as I would say from California, all tweaked at you for it. Oh, wait a minute, how dare you tell me you're on one side and I'm on the other? Nehemiah had that problem in the book of Nehemiah. It's interesting how many people didn't seem to have a problem until a wall got built. But what a wall says is, you're on one side of it and I'm on the other. Now, what separates believers from unbelievers, let me just make this crystal clear, isn't first and foremost that we're nicer people. I am just as deserving of damnation as any human being on the planet. It isn't that my good works have outweighed my bad. Truth be told, there is no possible way, if I were perfect from this point and I lived to be 120, that my good deeds could outweigh the nasty things I've done before I was saved. And even for that part, some of the things since I've been saved. First and foremost, I have taken all of my guilt and have laid it at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, who paid for every nasty and rotten thing done past and future. And I've accepted his payment, his death on the cross on my behalf, and his resurrection, which gives me a brand new life on the other side of it. See, Christianity isn't just about letting the old person die. It's about receiving the new life Christ has. That's why he rose from the dead. I mean, we were, we were buried with him in baptism, but raised in newness of life. Now, in that, he tells us, now, as we look at the unbeliever, there is a certain type of attitude we should have towards them, and it's wisdom. We are to walk with wisdom towards those who are outside. Now, Paul, again, is writing to a church he's never personally met in a Lycus Valley in the middle of basically 100 miles east of Ephesus in the, in the area of Turkey. And as he writes to these people, he's like, look at now that you guys are believers, you're going to have to be careful with unbelievers. You're going to have to walk with wisdom. Now, wisdom is knowledge properly applied. Someone says something, you're going to be weighing that out. Now, you're going to be weighing it out, hear me out, by Scripture. And if you don't know that beautiful book in your lap, man, get to know it because it becomes the filter for everything that is told. Now, I hang out with a bunch of believers for five minutes and all of a sudden I have to go, wait a minute here. That's not my value system. That's not what's important. That's not the direction I want to head. And God says, look, you better walk with wisdom for those people. In every culture, in every generation, there is going to be sin that's prevalent. That's going to be called the norm. And sad how it creeps into the church. Divorce and remarriage, like everything's on a temporary basis. And that's even acceptable in the church today. The idea of being completely filled with avarice and greed, that's actually very big in the church today. I can tell you that because the way that it seems a pastor is important is by how many people come to his church. Hey, let me tell you what, I could hand out free beer and I could have a huge church. 
but every one of them might go to hell. God doesn't think it's successful, but I could write books. Ooh, beer evangelism. That's the new one. The gospel on tap. You know, the, come on for the holy happy hour. Everybody, man, they're all, they should hear what happens when we break in the song. Everyone, they have no idea what they're singing. But boy, are they singing it with, oh, and you should see the dance ministry. Ooh, when we take out that whole disciple disco, woo! And everyone's just getting it all. I mean, the whole point of it is that that's what happens when the church starts getting their definitions from the world. And he says, you better walk with wisdom. Because the world out there, and let me say it in its simplest sense, because every one of us was in that world at one time. Some of us, we were a little younger when we left it. I was 19, which means I was I had already gotten my accreditations, and even for that matter, at least my bachelor's, if not my master's in sinning. I was a little bit of an accelerated student when it came to the world. I was, I was about in books on how to sin and do it well and, and running around teaching it. I'm not proud of any of that. In the simplest sense, you know what we were before we gave our life to Christ? We were just takers. That's all we were. Everything was about taking. You met someone and you sized them up. What could I take from you? Could I take a little bit of glory if I hang out with you? Will I look better? We learned that in secondary school at latest. Everyone be a little bit with the popular kid because if you hang out with the popular kid, strangely enough, they think you'll be popular too. But to be popular means you need to bag on those kids over there and make fun of that kid and you can't go out with that person and oh, don't make that person your friend. And you realize that was at something, someone's expense. Now, why would the popular kid go out with you? Because they must think you have something to offer them. And that's the way it plays out in all places. It's like, hey, really nice to meet you. But why is it nice to meet me? Because I really think you have something to offer me. And then what happens? Girls are amazed that guys are going for the gusto, so to speak. Because that's what they surmised was the most valuable thing that girl had to offer. Guys are amazed at what, and, and, and this is all stereotypical, but it is true. That all of a sudden, everything they have is gotten somebody else's name on it because they sold it all to impress a girl. And in the end of it all, by the time they actually get to go out with it, they, don't even, they can't even take them out to McDonald's because they sold it all to get her. And then she's like, well, I'm out of here then because... You won me by that watch you sold. And beloved, listen. Walk with wisdom. Because when someone comes to take, there's something on their heart. But on the other hand, you come as a Christian to give. As a Christian, I come to give. I come to give life. I come to give encouragement. I come to give peace and joy. And the problem is, here's, hear me out. The most amazing thing is what they're trying to get from you is a temporary substitute for what you're offering. You know, I think if I could just be with you and we get all romantic, I could be happy. And you're offering them joy, which transcends that. You know, if I could get your stuff, I think I could have a little bit of peace from it or a little bit of importance. And like, look at if I could introduce you to the savior of the mankind, you would have all the importance in the world there. And so I got to walk with wisdom. But part of my wisdom is I'm like, well, what is it you're after? Because whatever you're after, I'd like to introduce you to the person that could solve that forever. See, I'm not sizing you up when you come walking in the room because the only thing that you have to offer, to be honest, is your heart. But I don't want it. I want the Lord to have it. 
And if he has it, you're the one who improves, and I'm blessed because I get to see it happen. That's a huge thing. But he tells us the second statement in regards to that. Walk with wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Now, for what it's worth, the word for redeem is a real simple word. And it's the word where you got a shopping spree. Someone just gave you a card with no max. And you don't even have to pay the bill. And then they let you loose in a mall. Now, maybe I'm speaking a smaller portion of the people in this room. Maybe I'm not. It all depends on where you go to shop. But in the end of it all, something happened and there you were. And it's like, there are no easy payments. Just buy. And what happens is you buy it up. And the idea of it is you bought until there's nothing left on the shelf. Now, there are certain things that if I find and I really like it, I'll be like, oh, I'm just, there's across the street, if I find like, there's a particular drink, they call it organic. Uh, you know, I'm from California. That's an appealing term. And I went in there and then they're like, oh, we're going to buy some more. And they bought six of them. That was, and so I just went and bought them all up. Now they're in my, well, now they're almost all gone, but they were in my fridge before that. Um, you know, and the idea of it is I just went in there and went, well, these are reasonably, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get them all. Now, the idea of that, of buying them all up, was the idea that that thing was so valuable that I wanted to make sure that I had every one of them and I had every one of them for my benefit. And that's the word that Paul uses when he says redeeming the time. You're going to go and you're going to actually look up there and as, as if you were walking through a mall and all of the moments were available to you here and you were buying time. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing if you could do that? The problem is how many of us would actually buy them to do what God would want us to, like maybe sleep sometimes or, you know, or whatever. It's like in those moments when you're like, oh, I wish I could buy more of this moment. You know, when everything just seems like it's, well, to be honest, when everything seems like it's all right. Or as a dad, I wish I could buy more of those teachable moments where my children are not just asking questions to stay up later at night, but they're actually asking the question because they want to know a little bit more about it. And Paul says, I want you to buy up every one of those moments. In other words, let me say it this way. No matter who you are, you're an opportunist. Every human being on the planet is an opportunist. It's what's important to you that you become an opportunist in. And you'll watch, man, when those moments are available, you can tell what's important to a person by how they make time for something. You could say, oh, you know, it's the guy that looks at his wife and says, honey, you're the most important thing in the world to me. But I'm going to go out with my boys one more time. This is the fifth time this week, and it's only Friday. I mean, you, you kind of get the idea that, yeah, though your mouth's saying one thing, what time you're buying up on the other and who you're buying it for really is the opposite. Oh, Lord, you have every bit of me, but I really don't, you know. And who gets the leftovers? And who gets the main course? Who gets the good and hot? And who gets the, oh, let's warm that up in the microwave? Who gets the, oh, wait a minute, the first part, you get, you know, before I make, before I set aside time for anything else, this is it. Well, the problem is, well, wait a minute, but I work and I've got this time I got to give and travel and blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, well, then it's not, well, then how do I reasonably pick the rest of it and say, okay, well, wait a minute, you're the most important thing. I'm going to set time aside specific. I'm going to buy that time up right now. I'm not going to let it just get foolishly spent. I'm going to be careful where that gets bought. Now, look at you guys pick time today. And you pick time today to, to get up earlier than some of you wouldn't dare if you weren't a churchgoer. And you actually did yourself up a little bit. You may have taken a shower. I want to personally thank you for that, by the way. And, 
And then some of you risked it by getting on public transportation. You come here, some of you drove and risked it by whoever was driving next to you, and even the people driving the public transportation next to you. And, and all of that, you, you got here, and you walked into this building, and you, and you sacrificed time. I mean, somewhere down the line, you said, you know what? I'm going to commit to doing this. I mean, it would be really lame if you got up, did all of that, and then sat in the house and said, you know what? Actually, halfway through this, I decided I just want to look good sitting watching the TV. In the end of it all, you made a commitment. You bought up the time. And you bought up the time and you spent it. And let me just say, time is one of your greatest currencies. I mean, it's the thing that no matter where you spend it, it's going to prove where your value system is. And he says, look, and I want to warn you. I want you to walk wise with those on the outside. And I want you to buy up that time. You know, if you're around enough, I've learned this. If you walk around Camden Market sooner or later, if you walk there every day sooner or later, you're going to want to buy something even though you know you don't even want it. It's because you're there enough, unless you're there for a purpose. See, either it's going to spend you or you're going to spend it. And all of a sudden you're like, ooh, you know what? I never realized how nice that thing was. Funny, a week ago I walked by the thing and went, <laughs> that's, that's dumb. But now it looks good. Because for the last week I've walked by and go, ooh, shiny. Shiny, yeah, shiny. That's goofy, shiny. Oh, now it's like, ooh, shiny. Mm. And the next thing I know, it's like, I need, I need that thing now. And then what happens is you go and you pick it up and then you go back to someone that walked with you the first day and then they look and go, that thing, that was, you said that was dumb a week ago. But now it spent you instead of you spent it. You lost purpose. But you know, you're with someone and you, and there's these moments where you just know you're cramming words down their throat and you're throwing words at them and it's like, doing it bounces right off of them and falls on the floor and shatters. And you're like, man, this isn't the moment, is it? And then all of a sudden, you realize part of being an opportunist and loving people is praying for those teachable and movable moments, shapeable moments. And all of a sudden, that same cantankerous, nasty person all of a sudden drops for a moment and they their hands go down. And you're like, that's the moment. That's it right there. Here, can, can we talk now? Now, look, at, I, I, I fought competitively uh, as, a, as a younger man. You know, I didn't notice I didn't say as a young man. I'm still young, but as a younger man. And uh, there are those moments where you realize, you know you're going to get hit, and you know that they're there for a purpose, and you're there. And it's like for, there are times where you kind of you study a, a person as you're fighting them. And as you study them, you recognize this guy really only has a three-round you know, lifespan. And if you can sort of sit it out for those three rounds and just make sure your hands are up and you can block well, you can dance around the, the, the ring for three rounds. By the fourth round, you can drop this guy quick. Now, I'm not here in any way advocating fighting or violence. But the idea is simple. I mean, after a while, if you kind of get to, if you take time enough to really get to know the individual, you'll realize, wait a minute, there's, that's the moment right there. And that's part of walking with wisdom and redeeming the time. It's because my biggest issue for an unbeliever isn't for them to like me. It isn't for them to think I'm the man. Because to be honest, I'd rather them applaud me in heaven than them here. The book of Acts makes very clear that the praise of man is fickle on this side. I mean, dare I say Millie Vanilli, Vanilla Ice. Um, you know, people we laugh at today. because, But there was a time and there's going to be a day when people are going to be burning their Justin you know, Bieber, Biber, whatever shirts because it's embarrassing. <laughs> Maybe you're already doing that. You know? 
the point is, is that, you know, dare I say Hansen? Do you remember that, some of you? Now there's Hansen disease, by the way. Well, actually, it was before that. It's leprosy. But anyway, but I mean, the whole point was there was something, and there was a moment, and the girls were like, ah! and now they're like, ah. that's, oh, that's my sister's. No, that's not mine. That's my sister. You know, I never, I never owned that thing. Then that's the praise of it. I mean, it's one moment the women are swooning, you know, and it's one moment the men are like, yeah, and then you're like, no, no, really, I don't know what you're talking about. I never was never around that. That's the earth. And if I'm going to redeem the time, I really want to be wise about exactly what I'm doing with it. And then he says this: your speech. If you're going to redeem your time. You're going to have to activate this thing called your mouth. Now there is, oh beloved, there is a very, very dangerous mindset. And I'm just going to call it what it is, wimpy Christianity. Wimpy Christianity is the kind of Christianity that says, I'm going to be a Christian and in my mind I'm going to be a superhero, but I really don't want to actually, well, make any waves. If the entire world is going to hell, it's basically the one kid, and I saw this a couple days ago. I saw a kid that was just having the time of his life. We were, I was at a, um, a store, and as I was at the store, this kid was probably about Ruthie's age, about seven, and he just decided he was going to take on the escalator in reverse. You ever do that? <laughs> you know? You know, he was in a, you know, the only difference about this particular young man is that he was, well, he was pronouncedly large. <laughs> um, his sister, on the other hand, I'm assuming it's his sister, was as thin as a rail. And that girl, like a wheel, just went zoop, and up she went. And he goes, oh, I can do that. And it's like, and she's at the top going, hi, hi, hi. Okay, the problem is, is the boy, bless his heart, took up the vast majority of the escalator. And while people are trying to go down the escalator, he's basically rolling them over like a bowling ball on pins, man. And he's just, and you know what happens when you get tired? You lose control of your limbs, right? So now he's going, and now it just looks like he's knocking people over the escalator. People are cowering in fear of this seven-year-old child. And they're all now, their bags are all shoved into the corner. And they're like, ah, here comes big boy. He's like, well, if you're going to go opposite of the escalator, you're going to take some people down and route, regardless of how big you are. And here we are, and basically, God planted us at the bottom somewhere an inch away from hell, and he said, see that escalator? You're going up that thing, and you're going to take anyone that wants to go with you. And there are a lot of people who hopped on that escalator having no clue where in the world they were going. And as they get down, they're like, wow, this is not the... the the, this is not like what I wanted. This is not the sail rack. This is hell. And, and they're realizing it kind of on the way down. And you're like, you know, and it isn't the good news is the Holy Spirit gives you kind of the vim and vivacity that you don't, I mean, those steps aren't even a problem for you until you stop. And you're like, you know what? I really don't want people to think I'm really any opposite of them. <laughs> Beloved, you're the one living person in the morgue. You're going to look different. You really should look different. You know, you're like, well, I really want to blend in here. 
And you can see the Lord going, I put you in there for a reason. And like, you're the one with the defibrillator. You can actually bring to life every human being in the morgue. And you're there with the defibrillator. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. I think someone's coming. (laughs) What in the world is that for? I don't want to make any waves. And this is the way it's worked in the last 10 years. As someone grabbed a hold of a St. Francis of Assisi quote, and it became like the banner to wave. But we can't wave it big because then people will know we're Christians. And so it says, you know, maybe you've seen this. It says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It's necessary. Use words. It says that the gospel is the power of salvation to those who would believe. Well, what is the gospel? It is the testimony, according to 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus died for our sins, according to Scripture, was buried, and rose again on the third day, according to Scripture. Now you go, well, people are going to think I'm nuts if I say that. Yeah, guess what? They are going to think you're nuts. Get over it now. People thought Einstein was nuts. People thought Edison was nuts. I'm sure thankful for those two cats. How about you? And you're the only living thing in the morgue. People start to look and go, you're so weird. Yes, I'm alive. That's weird. But it's a good weird. As you get older, you start to realize there is such thing as a good weird. And by the way, if you'll pardon me for actually kind of ruining a really sanctimonious word, another word for weird, if you'll pardon me for saying, is holy. All holy means in its simplest sense is just radically unique you know why god is so holy because he's totally awesome and weird he's weird because he's not like us you know i mean you know you put one guy at like a convention and everyone else is a woman he's gonna be weird and he's gonna be like i don't really get all of this and they're gonna look and go you're really not like us and pardon me for sound and sexist but we really are radically different people and god made us that way for a reason And I realized that you look at Jesus and the more you try to make him less weird, the more you're going to drop him from how awesome he is. And then people read the book of Revelation and they're like, whoa, that's weird. These four living creatures, eyes all over their head. Well, what do you think happens when they see you? They've got to look and go, wow, you've only got two eyes. You're weird. I could, you know, I could see all over the place. Yeah, you see everything at once, and you, oh man, you good. You got the, you got to even put on glasses for a three D movie. <laughs> you know, not me. I just poke these two eyes, and whoa, I can see everything. Real well. I mean, imagine what that would be like. It's only weird because you don't know them. Well, there's this Ezekiel wheel within a wheel, and these things vroom, riding back and forth, and it's like, you know, angel hot rods or whatever, and we go, oh, that's really weird. Well, it is to us because we're not there. We get there, and you can, I mean, you can see God brings John up or Ezekiel up or Isaiah up, and they see this beautiful throne and the train that fills the, in the glory of the temple, and, and he looks at it and goes, wow, this is weird in the coolest of ways. And we try to make it not so. Here's a classic example. When John sees Jesus in the book of Revelation, he sees someone with white hair, skin that looks like bronze or like a metal that is stuck into a fire. Now, that's the best John could come up with. I mean, he's trying to tell us. Now, the best example, I mean, if we could take that and put it into a common vernacular today, that would be like arc welding. No. There's a reason why you wear those hoods when you arc weld. That light is so bright, it's dangerous. 
As a matter of fact, I have a friend who's a welder who has a friend that's a welder. And that particular guy took off his mask for three seconds to do a spot weld and it melted his contacts onto his eyes. And John goes, now how do I explain this to you? What's the very brightest thing I've ever seen in my life? It's like an arc weld. But I had a friend back in Chicago that really wanted to prove to me that Jesus was from a darker skinned origin. Because we all know that, you know, somewhere down the line, like Solomon was with like the Queen of Sheba and, you know, and, and, and this is and this is where it gets it. Because who else has skin like brass and white hair? That's an old man from where I come from. And I'm like, excuse me. I think you're trying to make him normal again. In the end of it all, I don't think any of us are going to care what color his skin is. I hope it's purple so that we all have nothing to argue with. <laughs> you know, can you imagine? And we're like, oh no, you look like Barney! We'd still make him normal. The bottom line is, the most important thing is his blood was red. As is yours, as is mine. He came to earth, and if, if all we want to focus is, if he came to earth to be to walk with every human being, wouldn't it be sad if we try to separate him into a specific class just because of that? The bottom line is it was his blood that was shed, not his skin. You know, like, well, excuse me, but what color eyes did he have? I don't care what color eyes. They were full of love. That's not what matters. I don't think he looked like a surfer for what it's worth. <laughs> Unless he probably looked like a Jewish surfer. I, even when they have surf in Israel, I haven't seen a lot of them. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. Look at Now, God looks and he says, look at I want you to walk with wisdom. Where in the world? How do we get there? Um, with, in redeeming the time. And then he says, no, look at This is where it is. It's your mouth. This is where this next thing's going to have to happen. And beloved, I want to warn you. This is going to be very contradictory to everything that you've been told in the world. But then we're walking with wisdom towards those on the outside. Because there are words like always and this. And that's a really very difficult word. Because the word always means you don't get any time off for this one. It isn't like you can choose this for that person because they're easy to be this way with. But that person on the other hand, well then either your speech needs to be this or you just don't say anything, right? That's the idea here. Mm -hmm. Now for some of us, that may mean we're going to have a lot more quiet time on our hands. Praise the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> but here it is. Notice the word let in verse 6. The word let means somewhere down the line, that means something wants to happen and you're allowing it. It doesn't say make your speech do this. It says let it. Now let your speech always be with grace. Ah. Grace, charis, means, in essence, it's gift. It's the root word when we get the word gift. Like a charismatic person is, in essence, a person who's gifted. Now, <coughs> understand what a gift is. A gift in no way, by virtue of it being called a gift, is in no way reliant on the deservedness of the recipient. Or it wouldn't be a gift. It would be an earning. It would be a paycheck. It would be a wage. It's entirely on the kindness of the giver. I mean, like, hey, James, hey, I owed you three pounds. Here's a Coke. Paid you back. There's no gift in that. Actually, I kind of got away with it. I could probably get a Coke for a whole lot less than three pounds. Unless we're near the airport. In the end of it all, a gift is something you give because you're being kind, not because the person deserves it. 
As a matter of fact, grace is the largest when they deserve it the least. And notice he says, let your speech always be with grace. Ooh, that's a problem. Now, we read that the law, according to John 1, that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You already had the law, but you need two things in that, grace and truth. When it talks about those growing up in the book of Ephesians, that we no longer be babes tossed to and fro by all this stuff, but instead we'd speak the truth in love. The problem is I've learned that when you first get saved and you start learning the truth, it goes like this. You don't know the truth. You speak the truth. You speak the truth in love. So somewhere in here, you become a horribly irritating individual because you've got the truth. You just don't speak it in love. And you know what I've learned? Children have that. It's a natural thing. They know how to say the truth without saying it in love. And what's great is sometimes we need to get nailed on it, but there's God tells us, look at you need to speak the truth in love. And I want everything you say to actually be, here's the simplest way. I want everything you say to actually be a gift to someone else. I want it to be a gift. If, it's, if it literally comes with grace, let what you say be a gift to someone. Or don't say it. Now notice, unfortunately, in that, or fortunately, is the word always. Now, where I came from, to understand in Chicago, we were, they call them cut lows. Everyone's got a different name for it. But you know that kind of, your mama's so thin, she can hula hoop with a cheerio. You know, your mama's so dumb, she can't, she couldn't even say her ABCs. You know, that kind of thing. You know, like that ain't even funny. Oh, don't be, don't, you know. I mean, that's just where I came from. And it's like, you know what, all that is, is it's like the weakest way to exercise your mind. Because it's like, like I'm smarter than you because I can make fun of your family better than you can make fun of mine. You know? You know, and it's so, you know, you know, I just, I just want you to know I'm dating your mom. Well, I tell you what, my mom told me she was taken out to trash. I mean, that's, you know, where that stuff goes. And so we learn how to, we learn how to nail people. And somehow we think that makes us look good. And God says, not where I come from. Because what that looks like in an American football game is you tackling your teammates. That's what, it's, what it looks like. You know, it looks like you're on the basketball court and someone, your own team just blocked your shot. You ever watch that happen? It's like, oh, this, this is ugly. This is really ugly. And the other team's like, I don't even know why I'm on, on the, the, the court because you guys are blocking each other. I'll just wait till you guys are done and you work yourself to a, to a tizzy and then I'll just, I'll win. I'm already, you're already losing. I just got to win this one. And I wonder how many times the enemy looks and goes, man, I can do that with you guys. I'm just going to watch. I'm going to let you guys just slice each other up. And then once I slice, once you guys slice each other up, then I'll just step in and say, oh, that's Christianity. Who wants to be part of that? And he goes, but I want your speech to be different from the rest of the world. Now, if you're going to watch the media, you're obviously going to get a handful and a head full of cutlows. You can learn all kinds of ways to make somebody look stupid or awkward. Hey, I've never been a fan of that. Here's a classic, a couple examples that we heard in America. You can tell me whether you hear stuff like that here. You're in a restaurant and some girl has been working for 14 hours. You don't know that at the moment, but she's just put a bunch of plates on her tray and she just got behind the counter and, and someone goes, job opening. Exactly who did that bless? You think that girl's like, oh, yeah, that's going to make me feel better. Oh, that just put wind in my sails to send me out of here. I'm thinking that girl feels bad enough as it is. But it's amazing how many of those moments we can. It's, it's almost like we're an opportunist to make somebody else look bad. 
awkward. You know, someone's trying to do something nice and you look at them and go, wow, you're really looking stupid to me. But I'm going to say awkward because that's better. But we all know the other person's like, I kind of know it's awkward. Can you help me out of the awkward instead of making awkward more awkward? <laughs> by telling everybody. <laughs> it is amazing how we can start those things. We can start fights where someone goes, you know, you say something and someone goes, ooh, I didn't mean that. And then the other person gets all defensive. And there you were trying to say something nice. You can do that with just about anything, by the way, I've learned. Someone goes, hey, how are you feeling? Ooh, wait a minute, what are you saying? You're saying I don't normally look? I mean, it's amazing how that can just color anything in. We've decided we're going to try to change that. We're going to be different than that. And so Landon, for instance, now when everyone gets off the train, he wants to say goodbye to them, even if he's actually met them or not up to this point. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. God bless yeah. you. Bye. A couple days ago, we decided, wouldn't it be fun if just one day out of the year you decided, because they have all kinds of red nose day and, you know, whatever, talk about the park day. What if you just hugged a canvasser day? You know, that's the guy that's got a clipboard and, you know, he's going to be asking you something. And just as that's the case, you just give them a hug when they come over to you. And, and James is like, I don't know, you should give that a try. Come on, I double dare you. And that always, right? That's a guy <laughs> thing, right? Because a dare isn't enough for the double, man. That's it. I can't walk away from a double dog dare. <laughs> And praise the Lord, it was a guy who says, but James, they got to come up to me. We're walking on our way to a Bible study, <clears throat> which was wonderful, by the way. And um, on our way, and this guy comes over to me for the, for the prevention of cruelty to children thing. And he comes over to me, he's got his clipboard, and he's like, hey. And I'm like, oh, and I give him this hug. And he's like, mother. <laughs> and James is like, you're the man. <laughs> the good news is I didn't like pick afterwards, look at him and go, Awkward. <laughs> you know, it was, I mean, the strangest thing was, like, a millisecond into the hug, he actually was happy about it. <laughs> Once he realized that I wasn't reaching for his badge or his wallet, you know. <laughs> My wife's like, that is so you. <laughs> now, hear, hear me out. I'm chasing time, and we're getting through those two verses. You probably knew better, and I didn't. Um... Look at God wants your mouth to be one of the identifiable traits of what it means to be a Christian. And, and you're like, well, does that mean I have to be preaching all the time? Look at preach when he tells you to preach should never be a negative word in the in, in regards to Christianity. I'm not going to preach it. You well, then you should. But when it comes down to it, it should we should be known as the person that people want to talk to because somehow that by the time they're done talking with us, they feel like they got a gift out of it. And and. It's easier, isn't it easy just to say, well, you're an idiot. When it's like, well, they, the world's taught you that. But then it says this, season with salt. Salt? What in the world? Season it with salt? Well, let me throw out a handful of things. I'm going to throw out a bunch of verses to you and keep your bulletin for next week since obviously I think we'll meet those guys next week. Salt speaks about a handful of things. It's used in the, the term salt is used in 36 different verses in Scripture. Uh, first and foremost, it's a map reference. Um, there's the Sea of Salt, the City of Salt, the Valley of Salt. So there is definitely this place. By the way, it's around the Dead Sea. That's fairly easy to find. Um, it is in regards to healing. For instance, in Second 
Kings chapter 2, when the water is actually causing barrenness and illness, it was Elisha that actually takes a new, a fresh bowl, fills it full of salt, throws it in the water, and says, I've healed the water because of the salt. And obviously, it's, there's, it's metaphorical, although it's done literally. And the water was made well, uh, for what it's worth. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 4, God speaks about um, children and how they weren't treated like proper children should. And the proper way that a child is, is when a child is born, they clean them up, rub them in oil and in salt. Uh, swaddle them, wrap them really tight, and then bake them for 45. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mm, smell good. Um, that, and here I am, and I'm thinking, is that really grace? Is that grace? Pray for me. Pray for me. Um, but the idea of it is it toughens up the skin. It makes it actually firm. That's the idea of it. And God says in Ezekiel, you weren't even treated like a right child. You were just kind of out you went and so forth. So there is a healing quality to this salt thing. But the most important thing, and it all wraps up into this, is this idea of an eternal covenant, that there's eternity wrapped up in salt. I mean, we know that salt was used to pay, by the way, soldiers. We know that, the idea of being worth your salt. Um, obviously, salt, by the way, was kept in the temple. It was one of the four things that was kept in there. And, um, but it, it's interesting because it tells us in Leviticus 2.13, by the way, that every sacrifice needs to have salt in it. And he says, listen, you shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from any of your offerings. It's called the covenant of salt in Numbers chapter 18, verse 19. As a matter of fact, even the covenant that God made with David in 2 Chronicles 13, 3 was a covenant of salt. Now, what does it mean that it's a covenant of salt? That it's got an eternal ramification to it. The idea of it is, look at I don't want you just giving us, listen, listen, please listen to this. I don't want you just doing something and thinking it's a sacrifice to God and having no eternal concept to it. Oh, I went to church today. Oh, you know, I paid my dues. That's the best we have to offer God is something that we did out of necessity because God required of us. Or is this going to have some form of eternal ramification? If this really, if we really are, in essence, in the locker room, getting our ins and outs, our X's and O's, knowing that we're going to take the field for the rest of the week and in taking the field, we're going to see the eternity changed as a result of that. This whole time that we meet means something different now, doesn't it? And I realize something. If my speech can be a gift to you, it better be seasoned with eternity. And it tells us, by the way, for what it's worth, in Job 6.6, 6, can food really be eaten if it's flavorless? Well, I mean, we are in the UK, but... Um, and it's... But it says, can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Now hear that for a moment. Listen, listen to this, though. Take this to heart. Can flavorless food, and, and I'm thankful I look out at a lot of you and I think there's spice on your lips. I mean, you know, in no weird way. I mean, it's a cool thing that, you know, I, I, mean, I, know, I know some of the seasonings you use and I, and I love them and crave them. But something flavorless, does it really get, do people really welcome it? It's not, it doesn't even have salt in it. And I think, well, what would happen with the church man, if everything we did had no salt in it? I mean, so what we are is we're going to live on this sort of karma world. Let's learn how to be good people so that society will look at us as good people and we could be nice people. And, and in the end of it all, we, and then we try to tell someone about Jesus. Listen, if there's no eternity involved, why in the world would anyone want Jesus? And so I'm trying to give Jesus to someone without salt. I'm trying to give church to someone without salt. I'm trying to give the Bible to someone without salt. Well, what am I seasoning my speech with? 
Am I seasoning it with like me, like me, like me? Am I seasoning it with you're stupid and I'm the man? Am I seasoning it with, hey, can I get that? And I think of all the things I do season or I could season it with or we would all season it with. Because we do season. Do we season it with gossip? Do we season it with just depression? I mean, in the weirdest sense of, let me just tell you 15 really horrible things that I learned, none of which bear any importance on my life, but you just need to know these things. I mean, is that a gift to anyone for me to do that? Does a word fitly spoken? It brings health and strength to the bones when it's a, a good word. On the other hand, I can dry up a bone and I can bring sickness and, and lack of vivacity if all I do is I'm dumping heaviness on people all day. And he goes, look at your main course is going to be what you say. Let it be a gift to someone. And as it is, season it with eternity. I mean, let people know that you, this isn't your permanent address. Let people know this is for real. And as we go to prayer here, it says that you may know how you ought to answer each one. At the end of it all, I want you to know how to answer people. Have you ever got those moments where you're like, oh, I really wish I was ready for that moment? But if I'm redeeming the time, I already have my court vision on. Some of you may know what that is. The idea of you're just, you're aware of all the players on the field. Part of that is really cool because I love the fact that we're the church we are because there are people that are going to want something a lot wilder and they'd go crazy here and we might too. But there are places where I, I know people that I love and we could send it to. It's part of having court vision going, you know what? I really think you could prosper in this environment. I mean, they're, they're sort of the goth church where if you really want to spend an hour bleaching your face and covering yourself in black, um, there is a place for you and that I could gladly send you to. You know, I mean, if you're the kind that's like, well, I need something more organized and structured. I need to know to the minute when this thing's going to end. Well, there are particular fellowships we can send you to for that, too. And that's cool to have that court vision because the bottom line is we're all family here. As long as we're really willing to let Jesus be the thing and his word to be the, the, the definition of who Jesus is. I mean, as far as let the word define everything. God, I'm so thankful for that. And I want to be ready to answer when somebody comes and says, you really believe that? That I have a yes on my mouth before they end their sentence? Not, oh, man, oh, i got to fit in on this if I come. I'm, I'm walking up the escalator when I do this, aren't I? And now we're going to have a term with each other to look at. I feel like I'm just a fat kid walking up the escalator. You know, yeah, well, okay. But I tell you what, if everyone's de-escalating into hell, I think they'll be really thankful if you grab them and take them up with you if in the end. At least you're like, look at I'm going up. And there are some people on that escalator right now that have just given up and they don't even realize they can walk up this thing. They've just been convinced it takes you down and that's just who you are. Hey, that's just the way I was born that way. I'm just going to be this person. That's just the way it's going to be. And you start walking up the escalator, you're going to actually start a riot because there are going to be people that are going to look and say, you know what? I guess you can do that, can't you? And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's what we're called to. I want to throw out this exhortation and I want to pray. It's the first Sunday of the month. You know what that means? That means we get to have communion together. And when we have communion, man, this is a serious time. I mean, this is a time where we actually say, Lord, I want to be absolutely right with you. I don't want anything getting in the way of us. 
I, I don't want to be known as, you know, as your name here, the lazy, your name here, the insignificant, your name here, the uncaring, your name here, the selfish, you know, and I want to, I want to be known as the person that's the life changer. That's the passionate, that's the fire starter. That's, if you will, the fat kid running up the escalator, if that's what you want to call me. But I do want to be the person in the end of it all that is so chock full of salt that you know it. You're like, you, you smell like something different. Oh, that's eternity. It's fresh air is what that is. That's a broad open space versus the pit you're in. The good news is I've been in your pit, and I know that God is a pit rescuer. So as we pray, look at first of all, have you accepted this gift of Jesus? Have you even said yes to him? Have you accepted that simple gospel message? Because it comes with a choice. Here's the choice. Will you accept the Christ payment for all your wrongdoings and his resurrection therefore? Have you accepted that? If you have, welcome to the family. Welcome home. As that's the case, God says, now you're my masterpiece. I set you on my table and I start to shape you into something so amazing you won't believe it. And then allow it. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much for the gift of this time. I want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to walk with you. For the privilege of being able to worship you for the privilege of being bought by you and rescued by you and set free by you. I want to thank you, Lord, for the way that you have killed the person I hated and given me a person I can celebrate. I recognize I'm not completely out of the woods. There are still parts of that old man that try to cling to this new person, and then I pray you would continue to scrape them off like mud off the bottom of my shoe or worse. They don't belong. And I pray, Lord, for every person here, myself included, that I would walk in wisdom, that I would be careful not to try to just jump on the escalator just so that I wouldn't make any waves, but that I would walk wisely toward those who are outside and outside these doors there are people who are completely contradictory and contrary Lord to the very things you proclaim that are clearly truth Lord and and Lord I don't want to agree with them just because they seem to have the right graphs and someone called an expert and all that Lord I truly and genuinely want to hold your truth and I want to buy up every moment, Lord, and look for those moments as an opportunist where I can bring you into the situation and show you as the solution to everything. And I pray, Lord, that you turn my mouth and the mouth of every person here into a gift giver. Lord, that, that everything we say would be a gift to someone. Everything. And you would season everything with eternity. Lord, that that. When people talk to us, it would be it maybe the only time and very likely the only time some people have thought about eternity ever. So, Lord, make us people who are constantly dropping heaven's hints. And we want to be able to answer every one of them.
And I pray right now, Lord God, that as we just openly renew our our covenant with you, renew our the gift of, of your gospel, that we do so, Lord, not by just right by that which is rote and ritual, Lord, but by that which is from our very being. And I do openly acknowledge, Lord, that that I'm a sinner in and of myself. I'm imperfect and do not qualify to the level of glory you require for an individual to stand on their own merit. But I also believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me and raise again. And that that paid for everything I've ever done wrong and will. And I accept that gift of Jesus, openly declaring it, confessing him as my savior and my ransom, but also, Lord, as he's raised the newness of life and you offer me now the newness of life, I want to walk in it. And that newness of life declares Jesus as my Lord and not just as an innocent bystander or as a nice person to redeem me, but also as my master now. And so I proclaim Jesus as this, and I ask for you to be the Lord of my life. So have me, reshape me, be the architect of my reinvention and make me something beautiful. And I know that's your plan. So I we openly declare this right now. And if you agree with this prayer, I'll ask you to say amen. And I just say, Jesus, I'm absolutely yours. Have me in your name. Amen.